0: As we've alluded to on our other shows this offseason, our crack rackets team attempted to speak with every power five men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man who has spent so much of his life dedicated to college tennis, of course. He was a four-time first-team All-HAAC performer at Baker University. He has gone on to coach at multiple different stops. You can turn to Niagara. You can turn to Purdue. You can turn to Wisconsin. Of course, what we want to focus on today is his newest and latest job, head coach now of the University of Colorado Women's Tennis Program please welcome to the show anthony fam anthony welcome my friend how are you doing
1: good alex thanks thanks for having me on
0: oh it is our pleasure and again that's a life dedicated to college tennis and i like to think i'm pretty (laughs) committed to the game as well but let's just start right there and get into it what keeps bringing you back to the sport what at age you know 39 now and by the way head coach before age 40 mazel tov to you as they say (laughs) in my culture that's pretty freaking awesome Uh, what is it about the sport that you keep gravitating towards
1: you know, I—it's I, just a sport, and I think um, you know, obviously it's something that I grew up playing. I enjoyed, um, and when I was in graduate school, I was a GA, and I just kind of caught the bug. I—I I honestly never thought this was kind of the path I was going to be going down. I was a biology major in college, and I got into med school and all that, all that jazz. <laughs> you know, some things happened in my life that kind of changed my perspective on things, and like I said, I went to grad, went back to grad school, and I was a GA. Getting my master while well, I was getting my masters in education, and just got the coaching bug. And it's I think it's just one of those things. Um, yeah, my personality. I like to feel like I can help people, uh, which is why I originally wanted to be a doctor. And then I start to realize that there's many other uh, ways that you can do that, and you know, many different jobs. And, you know, through college, uh, tennis. Obviously, we are college tennis coaches. But myself, I'd like to think that. know i I hope i can be a little bit more to my players than just a tennis coach Mm -hmm. uh you know hopefully provide you know some advice and and leadership and use tennis as kind of like a a vehicle for for other things um so you know for me it's when it boils down to it it's about relationships Mm -hmm. uh it's you know it's one of my greatest joys kind of talking to some of my former players and seeing them go on to be, you know, very successful doctors, lawyers, pharmacists, business people, whatever it is they choose to do in life and and continue to have, you know, strong relationships relationships with them. So obviously we're competitive. We want to win. I think that's why we're in it. But uh, I think above and beyond that, uh, it's about just building the the relationships with our players and helping them, uh, you know, become successful leaders and people in life.
0: Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I I do think it's a fascinating origin story, though, to go from, again, bachelor's degree in biology. There are a lot of biology majors floating around the college tennis universe, as you can imagine, or maybe not. Um, But, you know, again, you go on to get your master's of education. And from there, uh, you serve as a graduate assistant at Drury and you're coaching both the men's and the women's teams and just – You know, again, it's a a degree in education. You are an educator as a coach of scholar-athletes. But is it just – you talk about catching the coaching bug. What is it about the coach – you know, again, what is it about the coaching? Is it just, again, being able to stay within the sport? Of course, that's always a great mechanism. But I I just – I think it's fascinating. Your mid-master's degree, and you go, yeah, you know what? I I think I'm going to go coach tennis as well.
1: Yeah, you know I don't know, like to be honest with you, it was just one of those things I, I you know, the person I worked for in college, I remember every day he would come to me and say, Like, are You sure you wanna keep doing this? you know, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like in a in jest because it's a great job, but obviously you you know, every every job has its challenges and you know, anytime we had a difficult day, whether it was practice or you know, with one of the players, he would always ask me and say, Like, hey, are you sure you wanna keep doing this? And I was like, Yeah, actually I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like it's like I said at the time I, I didn't really set a goal for myself. Like, Hey, like, I want to be a power five head coach. I want to do this. <laughs> I just liked coaching. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, I, I just enjoyed developing the relationships. I enjoyed being on the court with them. I enjoyed the, you know, the day, the ins and outs of every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I think that's where, you know, for us, if we're going to be successful with our players, like I said, not only with in tennis, but just in general, it's, it's like, you have to enjoy you know the quote-unquote grind with your players every day, right? Like you have to enjoy being in the trenches with them every day, being on the court. You know whether it's individuals, practice in the weight room, whatever it is. You know you have to enjoy that uh, because yeah, I mean it's it's a long it's a long year sometimes. And um, but yeah, I, I think like I said, you know, just going back to the relationships, it's like for me that's what I really enjoy. It's just building those relationships, getting to know them, allowing them to get to know you, um, and and hopefully they know that you know, I'm there, our coach staff is there for them for the right reasons, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about the tennis, it's about everything else. And it's not only just a four-year commitments. you know, hopefully if they come to the University of Colorado, it's not just for the four years they're here. It's for however long, uh, you know, they want to keep this relationship going from here mm-hmm. on out. It's, you know, from my, my point of view, hopefully the rest of their lives. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all about the relationships and, and, You know, like I said, just helping them be successful in whatever they choose to do once they leave school.
0: Mm-hmm. no absolutely i i want to do a I, I pitched this podcast once to the people i work with just to you know promote that you got to get those viewer to listen numbers up i was like if we did a podcast series on the pains of compliance paperwork every coach would listen i was like that would be sure. our most listened to episode just to hear the grievances because that's the for lack of a better term that we don't get to see as college tennis fans that is the grind uh of yep. being the coach and obviously you know for someone like you who has gone on the assistant route and you know you're an assistant you know first you're the head coach at niagara then you go assistant at purdue assistant at wisconsin you're then uh, obviously make the jump over to the university of colorado um it's you know again it's it's not a glorious pathway right there's a lot what, what are some of the things you're doing behind the scenes that we don't get to see not just you know the coaching of the players but the the glory i suppose the the less glorious side of the coaching world
1: I mean, like I, I think at at, at a big school, yeah. let's let's be you know, uh, real too. Like, yeah, obviously we have to do a lot, but compare what compared to what you have to do at at the mid major, it pales in comparison. Uh-huh. You know, at, at the mid major, obviously my first job out of college, out of graduate school, was at a mid major, and I wore you know, every hat possible <laughs> uh, because we had one strength coach for you know for eighteen sports, we had one academic advisor for eighteen sports, um. You know, we didn't really have anyone that handled our fundraising. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have anyone that booked our travel. So there I did, I did literally everything and I had a part-time assistant that worked for for me that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, helped coach both teams, men and women. So, uh, here obviously at a big school, power five school, like Colorado, I mean, yeah, we are obviously still doing a lot, but we have a ton of help. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, which makes our lives a lot easier, um, for sure, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you talk about compliance paperwork, when you talk about uh, obviously just overseeing you know, the the program, when it comes to the strength conditioning, you know, we we do have you know, help, like I so said, when it comes to academic advising and all those things. But yeah, there, just like any job, there are some un uh, not so glorious uh, parts <laughs> of the job. But you know, that kind of comes with the tour,
0: right? Yeah, no, you got to do
1: the good with the bad.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously that gets us now to where you are at here at Colorado. And I believe you're the seventh head coach in program history. And look, obviously it it wasn't the scenario you were probably looking for, uh, you know, replacing Coach Steinberg, who had to resign due to family reasons. And, you know, that's not how you script up getting your first head coaching job. But, you know, you were the interim head coach. Now you are the head coach of the women's uh, tennis program. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm curious for you, uh what that what that means to you to just to be a head coach, age thirty-nine, again, before the age of forty two have accomplished head coach of a power five school, what that means to you, what the support you've gotten from the University of Colorado has looked like.
1: Well, I you know, I think the support here is is second to none. We have a mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have an awesome A D. Uh my sports advisor uh is amazing. I think our our, our support staff here is like I said, is 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 hands down probably you know, mm-hmm. probably the best in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So they give us anything and everything that we need to be successful. Uh, not only from coaching standpoint, from I think from a student athlete support standpoint too. Uh, you know, our academic advisor is awesome, strength and conditioning coach. I mean everything. Um, so from that standpoint, like you know, there's nothing I I I can point to and say like yeah we are deficient in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very very fortunate in that, you know that respect. And I think for me personally, honestly. I'm not someone, and maybe this is something that I don't do a very good job of, but I don't, I don't, I don't really do a good job of, of celebrating things. Sure. Um, cause for me, it's just like, okay, like this is awesome. Like, I, look like I don't get me wrong. I feel, feel very fortunate to be in the position I'm in, mm-hmm. um, you know, being at a, an awesome school and an awesome location, like I said, with so much uh, support. Uh, but for me, it's always like, okay, like what, what do we need to do now? You know, like, how do we continue to move the program forward? How do we continue to support our student athletes the best we can? And how do we give them the best opportunity to be successful? So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I feel fortunate to be where I'm at. But I just don't do a very good job of celebrating things. For me personally, I much rather celebrate things for you know our, our players and our program.
0: Well then with that in mind, let's celebrate those players, that program, and talk about uh, where you guys are. You know, coming off of last season, it was a year where I've, I think it's fair to say you guys had a younger team. You look across the board. I believe what Fleur was, I want to say, the only uh, player who was a uh, f- uh, fifth year who you know grad yep. would have graduated on yep. her own volition. But you know, yep. across the board, it you know a bunch of sophomores, a bunch of juniors on the roster they put together a 9 and 12 overall season you know three and seven in the conference and obviously it's a conference that includes powerhouses in stanford in ucla who have been at the top of women's college tennis forever you know you don't want to exclude usc who certainly has as many resources and the pedigree as any program in the country You know, what are you? Last year was a tough year for everyone, in particular, just given all the COVID regulations, given all the stuff you had to sift through. How are you feeling about the team coming off of twenty twenty one?
1: You know, like I think for me, I'm I'm just an optimistic person by nature, so I've noticed that for the record. (laughs) So I feel like, uh, you know, I I feel like we're primed to hopefully continue to to build off that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I want to make sure I take a little t- bit of time to, to give uh, coach Steinberg, a ton, a ton of credit. Cause, uh, you know, she did an awesome job of really putting a strong, putting in a strong foundation here, uh, three years ago. And obviously giving me an opportunity to come here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, like I said, we're just trying to build off of that, you know, last year, you know, at one point, I think we were in the forties, you know, we finished, yeah, I think somewhere in the sixties and, um, you know, we, we upset Cal, uh, mm-hmm. here, here in Boulder at the time, Cal was 12 in the country, which was, I, I, you know, from what we understand was the highest ranked win we've ever had in the program's history. So I think, you know, for some of the players in the team that were on the team last year and are, are here now, I think, you know, that gave them some belief to, uh, to understand that what we're capable of. And now it's just a matter of obviously putting in the work in day in and out, so that we can try to, uh, not only replicate, results like that but hopefully replicate those results more consistent so um okay. yeah I, I think you know the you know the sky's the limit for us in our program just because of the sport we have like i said the we have strong academics our location is it's is really hard to beat i mean i don't know if a lot of people realize this or or know this but uh, u.s news and world report just named boulder colorado the best place to live in the country for the second year in a row. So Mm -hmm. uh, very high quality of life here. Yeah, I mean, it's just an awesome place to go yeah.
0: to school and live. So, no, I, uh, I, the amount, uh, if I could go down the li- short list of my friends, and, you know, again, listeners know this, but I'm from Michigan, you know, went to the University of Michigan. I'm a Midwest kid through and through. The amount of people in my life who are like, I'm moving to Denver or I'm moving to Colorado, <laughs> I'm figuring all this stuff out. It's, it is, it, I mean, you hear it anecdotally, but. I, that is, it, I imagine that makes the recruiting pitch that much easier, and this is a question I am asking every coach, and typically we'll get to it later in the podcast, but this just feels like the moment. It's got to be easy to pitch Boulder, right? And I am curious because I want to give every coach this opportunity. What does that recruiting pitch look like for you know your Colorado program, a program that hasn't made the NCAA tournament since, I believe, 20, uh, 2007, but obviously is a program that has the resources and has the school to be a competitive team?
1: Yeah, for us, like, we are, you know, we don't run from, from things, right? Like, we do know we have made the tournament in, yeah, like you said, since 2007. And I think part of the recruiting pitches, like, obviously we play in the back twelve, so we play in a very, very competitive conference. Mm-hmm. So every match we play, you know, whether it's Stanford, UCLA, Cal, or, you know, uh, Oregon, Utah, everyone's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in, in a a typical year out of the, what do we have? I think there's 10 or 11 teams, in, in fact, all that have women's tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can you can probably count on at least seven or eight in a typical year making tournament, you know, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's a if it's a normal year. So you're going to get good matches, obviously, year in, year out. Uh, we're a program on the rise, so it's like you can go to, obviously, some of these programs that are, are more established, um, or you can come to us and, and obviously help, help establish something that hasn't been done in a long time and hopefully when you do graduate in four years, leave a legacy, mm-hmm. uh, leave, you know, leave your, your mark, leave your imprints. And then on top of that too, it's, like I said, it's just a great place to go to school. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, from quality of life to uh, restaurants, shopping I mean, concerts, uh, I mean, the weather's great. People mm-hmm. think living in Colorado that, you know, you're going to get a ton of snow and sure it does get cold, You know, we do have four seasons here, but when I first moved here to to Denver, everyone tells me, you know, the moniker here is you get 300 days of sunshine, and apparently we get more sunshine here than they do in Florida. (laughs) I know, like people don't can't believe that, but apparently that's true. So, uh, yeah, like I said, we do have you know the weather. We do get four seasons, but it's more just like your perspective. What do you? What is it that you really want, right? Like, do you Mm -hmm. want to be uh you know playing tennis just outdoors all year and you know in the sun the uh, or do you want you know some different seasons do you want uh like i said uh, you know high quality of life and like you you mentioned earlier there is a ton to sell here and it's just a i mean the bottom line is just a, it's a great place to live and a great place to go to school and academic too we're also very strong so i mean it we we feel like you can have the best of not both not only both worlds but all three worlds, when it comes to like, the quality of life, academics, and athletics.
0: Yeah, No. absolutely. And again, I, I think something that's so fascinating about this Colorado team, you look at the records and the stats from last season, and maybe you, um, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for our listeners, at the one through four singles positions, nine and nine at all four flights. Number five singles position, you guys go eight and ten on the year. Number six, you guys go nine and eleven. But, you know, again, that's uh, considering how many of your team uh how many members of your team you're bringing back to the roster this season you guys are right there right 500 ball means you're playing these close matches uh you know extraordinarily tight and you look at the record uh you as you mentioned the 4-3 when you guys were able to pull off over cal last season but you know even some of the 5-2 losses you guys take over the course of this season as well or the 4-3 loss at denver it feels like you've got a team that's on the precipice of something i'm curious if that was the feeling you got from all the performances last season
1: yeah like i said it you know it's just like we talked about earlier it's perspective mm-hmm. right like for me mm-hmm. i mean you can going and be like oh man you were so close but this but for me it's like yeah we're so close and we're gonna push through you know mm-hmm. we kind of continue just to to knock and knock and knock and do the right things uh you know like as a coach, you said, we this whole fall we've you know pre- preaching to our players like we have to continue to do the right things maybe you're not getting that you're going to have the success right away but at some point you, you do the right things you make the right decisions uh you put in the work every day then the success is going to come your way it's just you have to continue just to do it and trust that it's going to it's going to happen um you know it's like we watched tennis. obviously we watch we follow collegiate tennis we watch professional tennis and we are so wowed by things, you know, like, oh man, do you see this person hit this shot or do you see what happened with this, this point? And from my, my perspective, I'm a coach, you know, we talk about like percentages, we talk about making the right decision. We talk about doing the right things um, over and over and over. And you you add to the element, obviously with, with collegiate tennis and the scoring system now, um, you know, with the no ad and doubles six or the two out of three, no ad, like, if you do the right things and you're playing the percentages at some point, you know, those things are gonna work in your favor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, someone who had the ball bounce in her way last season was, uh, and I'm going to butcher the last name, I apologize, but Sophia Dervon who you look at what she was able to do in singles and doubles, I believe six and one at the number one doubles uh, last season with Sarah, uh, number one doubles position, and then eight and three at the number two singles position. Uh, obviously, you, you look for her here this season entering, I believe her junior year, but probably a fourth year junior, uh, just given. And that's the case for so many of these uh, players across the country right now. Curious what you've seen from her this fall, and if you think she's ready to, you know, step up and be one of the, ti- you know, it, it, you're you're playing the best of the best. If you're playing number one singles in uh, the Pac-12, you've got Michaela Gordon at Stanford, Haley Giovara at Cal, and you know, I can Selma Ewing. We saw what she just did this fall uh, at USC, and obviously Abby Forbes, number one player in the country. Uh, you think uh you know again what given what you saw last season get what, given what you've seen this off season, you have players on that roster ready to step up play at that level
1: yeah i, I you know like once again we we would like to think so you know we do know we understand uh yeah you know playing in the back 12 is is uh you know you're going to play every match you're going to play someone very very good um so I, yeah we we feel you know pretty good about obviously uh our roster our chances it's it's you know, not only just Sophia, but, you know, we, the other juniors, Maria, mm-hmm. uh, our seniors, Megan, uh, we have a, you know, fifth year uh, transfer and Caroline Pozo. We have, of you course. know, a couple of strong freshmen uh, that have joined our roster. Um, so, yeah, we feel pretty good at, you know, at this, I think at this point, it's about obviously getting better every day and, and trying to just keep everyone healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all know with, with most teams, unless you, yeah, you are you are a top you know top five team, um yeah you it's about keeping everyone ha- uh, healthy and uh hopefully you know working and, and peaking at the right time
0: mm-hmm. yeah, no, and you look at the roster, you have two freshmen everyone else either is either a junior or a senior. How helpful is that for you coming into, you know, first full year on the job to have players who just know how to operate a college tennis season? Even if these last two years have been extraordinarily funky and this might be their first year of normalcy in quite a bit of time. How helpful is it for you to have, you know, this level of experience on your roster? And again, when you look up and down your lineup, what you've seen this fall, does it feel like an experienced team? Does it feel like a team that's taken an appropriate amount of lumps? And I know you're optimistic, but ready to make that you know, big, not necessarily big jump, but just a jump here this year.
1: Yeah, we do, we do, mm-hmm. we do really do feel that. Um, I said, it, you know, with anything, it's a process. Sure. We're, you know, we're we're a different coaching staff. We have a little bit of a different, uh, you know, focus and mentality. So I feel like, yeah, they've they've taken taken to that, and um, you know, they've adjusted well. Um, but yeah, we, you know, the fall I think is. You know i don't know how other coaches look at it but you know for our perspective it's yeah it's, it's like we have to get better right like so for mm-hmm. me whether we're winning and losing in the fall is not that important uh, as long as you said earlier are we doing the right things are we making you know the, the necessary adjustments are we trying to get better every day you know is that our focus um mm-hmm. and you know like we're leaving this weekend we'll, we're going to go to uh, an event in florida which is a head and duel mm-hmm. and you know we we're just talking a little bit yesterday with the group during practice about the format you know it being a hidden dual format you know for the two freshmen they were like wait what is that what was that like what, what are we doing are we all playing yeah. at the same time and you know even yeah some of the upper class were like no 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 this is this is really fun you know like we're all going to play together at the same time and we're going to be able to support each other and because one of the, the freshmen asked oh so we're we not going to be able to to sit and watch <laughs> you know like and, and watch uh, our teammates it's like no no we're actually all going to be playing at the same time so um, you know, even for for something like this, you know, it's, it's going to always be a new experience for for the freshmen, and you know, for the upperclassmen, they're going to be able to to kind of point them in the right direction, how we should, you know, how we should how we should approach it, what we should be doing, those types of things. So, uh, I guess to answer your original question, yes, it, I think it does <laughs> absolutely help having some you know some uh, some upperclassmen some people who've kind of been through uh, the battles to help uh, lead the younger ones.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about that. And um, again, when I, I think uh something that I have learned in this process and talking to so many different coaches the fall is traditionally an individual based uh portion of the season you're playing the regionals you're playing as many different individual tournaments as you can but I think one of the lasting byproducts of last year's off season and just you know what teams learned adjusting to COVID is how valuable the hidden duels are to play in the fall and you know again i don't know what's hidden about it it's just not technically <laughs> a dual match format it's the stupidest name in tennis at the same time every talk, coach you talk to to a t will say we are going to try and play more hidden duels moving forward in the fall because that team experience that's what the fall is about and you've already mentioned it. it's preparing yourself for the spring doing things the right way it's just I, I feel like the hidden duel is an easier mechanism to do that with right it, it will it shock you to see more of these hidden duel style events emerge each and every fall
1: no yeah, i like i think you know from everyone's perspective i think it makes the most sense because I mean, i'll tell you so we we played regionals mm-hmm. uh about two weeks ago it was in las vegas Yeah, had like a, a it was an a draw a b draw and then it was a double straw so it was mm-hmm. a draw was like 128 b draw was like 64 and then they had a 64 uh double draw. And i'm not joking so there were some mornings where you showed up like 6 30 to, to warm up and then we weren't leaving the facility not, until like nine o'clock at night yeah um so you know it's like we had some massively long days and you know with a hidden duel like you mentioned like it serves a lot of purposes from uh you know like a coaching standpoint from a player standpoint it mimics obviously a real dual match, uh, from an energy and just like a, yeah, a format standpoint, but also like if I'm the tournament director, it's a lot easier too, right? Like I don't have to sit and make draws. I don't have to go onto to U- UTR and do all this stuff. You literally, you know, you just set up the tournament teams, submit their, their, you know their, their uh, lineup, and then you go and play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like, instead of it, you've been there 12 hours, it's a two and a two and a half hour, three hour match. And, you know, you got a lot out of it. So I, yeah. I think the dual match format makes a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I, I, you know, from my perspective, I think it's all more fun.
0: Yeah, it's a more efficient use. It feels like of resources of time of all of the above. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I do think – that will be one of the lasting impacts I suppose of uh, this past season. And, you know, again, looking at your team here in 2022, uh, just uh, across the roster, I'm curious, have there been any players we should be aware of, any standout performers this fall that people should be looking to see make a jump here uh, in the 2022 spring dual match season?
1: I don't know if there's anyone in particular, but I, like I said, I, I think we have a high, high expectation from everyone on our roster. Um mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, it's a one through nine here. We, we feel good about, you know, and we feel, uh, any of those, uh, you know, any of those players on, on any given day is, is going to be able to obviously perform at a high level. And we do understand too, the same thing playing, uh, not only a tough out of conference schedule that we have set up for us, but also obviously the, once we get into back 12, it's going to be, you know, like a, a win, win the match, you know, try to get four points by committee um mm-hmm. you know it's at the number one spot whoever ends up playing number one is is going to be in for you know a battle every day and same thing two through six so it's it's a matter of how do we find four points today whether it's you know winning a doubles point winning three singles matches or winning at least four singles matches so uh we feel good about everyone and you know like i said the expectation is um every match it's going to be you know who, who who are the people today are they going to step up for us
0: You talk about slating a tough schedule for yourselves just to test yourselves against the best of the best. And obviously, given where Colorado is, there's not only the Pac-12 schools, but the plethora of California schools, everyone out there for you to play. At the same time, I know every coach keeps the 500 rule in the back of their mind because, of course, under most seasons, I think they waived the requirement last year uh, because of just the – you know, the COVID stuff and everyone wasn't able to play a complete schedule. But the five hundred rule, you have to be five hundred or better to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Is that something at this point you're thinking about day in, day out with your program, or is that something you guys aren't you know, again, monitoring the five hundred rule. It's more about playing the best than worrying about the resu- you know, the results are the next component.
1: So I think as a coaching staff you always have to uh you know, when you're putting the schedule together, mm-hmm. you do have to kinda of keep that in mind. Um yeah you know i think it's something you know obviously when we talk to our players it's you know we don't we don't ever discuss because whoever we're playing we have to try to obviously perform at a high level and and be successful but as coaching staff yeah i think i think it would be naive of us not to ever think about those things and talk about those things when we are putting the schedule together
0: i'm curious Uh, not to cut you off does it hamstring you the 500 rule like does it would you i guess is that a rule you're in favor of
1: you know, I don't know. I, I think I understand the reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think if we look at years past at some other programs, how they've kind of been able to. Uh, maneuver around it, and you know, sure. finagle their way. Uh, you know, you either playing triple headers, quadruple headers, whatever it was that they were doing. And, There's the, and the legendary
0: shoot- Arkansas versus who uh, one of the Abilenes or something where yeah, they played like, it was like 17 it was Arca- times in a day,
1: <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So, um, I, I, what I understand, I think they've kind of done away with that rule, which I support. <laughs> you know, where you you can't play. I think it's more than maybe a double header against a mm-hmm. specific team uh i like I said i understand the 500 rule and i you know i understand the merits behind it um i think there's you know the both, both you can argue whether it's a good rule or bad rule mm-hmm. i mean the reality is there's a there's some bad rules in everything and it's you know it's our job <laughs> as coaches to still abide by it so i don't think it necessarily hamstrings us but it does make you think about things a little bit uh a little bit harder when you are scheduling um <laughs> yeah because the last thing you want to do is obviously have a good enough team and and be ranked high enough to make the tournament. And then because, yeah, because of maybe some scheduling uh, mistakes or whatever it is now, you're not going to make the tournament. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we, you talk to all coaches like scheduling is not an exact science. You know, you have to kind of obviously guess where your team, how good your team is going to be, if your team is going to be healthy, those types of things, and then hopefully uh, be able to, um, yeah, assume the same thing with, with your possible opponents, too. So it's it's never an exact science. You're just going to hope you're doing the best you can and put your, your, your team in the best position to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about that. And with that in mind, I actually have some other, you know, broader topics, rule changes ahead, et cetera, et cetera, that I want to run you by before I let you go. One of them being the big development of the offseason in the incorporation of NIL rules and obviously the uh, opportunity to for athletes now to profit off of their name, their image, their likeness. Uh, obviously, there are rules dictating what international players can and can't do that are much stricter for, versus what the American players are able to do. But I'm curious how you see that impacting college tennis moving forward it feels like you know again the bigger state schools should all be well positioned to perhaps take advantage of these rules just by virtue of how many alums they have and it takes that one super engaged fan uh, of your program to you know allow your athletes to begin to benefit and i'm curious what you think the nil ruling will do for college tennis moving forward
1: uh that's a good question i'm not quite sure uh, yeah. what
0: it will do i mean i like i think
1: um yeah as a coach and you know uh I know, talking with our ministers, like we we support anything that helps our student athletes be successful right mm-hmm. so whether it's nil or anything else like anything we feel like it can help them and help their, their overall success we are in support of it uh, i think the one tricky thing we are seeing now just across the board when it comes to not only here in colorado but just across the country when it comes to nil is uh, there's, there's no standard when it comes to how it's being, uh, policed or how, you know, or, mm-hmm. or how states are, uh, allowing schools in that specific state to, to conduct NIL, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's, if I am understanding it correctly, every state mandates, um, uh, you know, the rules or the standards when it comes to NIL. So, yeah, for instance, you know, for, for our
0: listeners, I believe Florida, the coaches are not allowed uh, to head, like, do it's very strict in Florida versus, and I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I'm just saying an Ohio State coach has free reign where it's just like, go do your thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I think that's obviously, it's still very early. You know, the, the NIL it's only been here for whatever, like, what, less six, than months. six months? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, I think there's a lot of uh, red tape and, and some cobwebs, cobwebs, kind of work through, uh, okay. but I think that's the biggest thing: uh, is just trying to get some sort of uniform, uh, standard rules, regulations across the board, so that everyone is operating under the the same. Yeah, under under the same standards.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely in the teething phase of life. I agree, it's not quite a fully developed human. Like the teeth are just coming in for the nil. It's starting to figure out what does uh, and doesn't work. But I do think, and I, I just to posit a theory to you, and it's something I, I've been floating to coaches as we've gone through this process um is the opportunity for nil to open up the door even more so as for college tennis as a pathway to the pros and again given the, the lack of clarity surrounding the rules governing nil it's not as direct as be a top recruit go make money go play the pros afterwards but you do imagine in particular for the best american players in the world. Go make some money before slogging it out for nine straight weeks in Tunisia or just, you know, the idea of being able to profit off of your skill and perhaps a way even more so than you would your first few years struggling to make ends meet on the pro tour does do these NIL opportunities open, you know, open up college tennis that much more as a pathway to the pros. I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, like
1: you said, I think, uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm someone who's good enough, uh, you know, to be considering the, the, the pro ranks or, you know, deciding between going, you know, quote unquote pro directly or going to college, I hopefully myself and, you know, my parents or those close to me are advising me about like, like, do, you, do we have the resources, right? Because yeah, there's a lot of uh, good tennis players out there who think they can make it, but they don't necessarily have the resources to make it right cuz like you said i mean it's it's a it's a tough sport it's an expensive sport it's a lonely sport um so yeah if you can go to college uh have all the re- these resources at your disposal when it comes to the training the the strength conditioning the you know the the, the sports ecologists, the, the dietitians the nutritionists um you know obviously the coaching the facilities and then on top of that now you're saying okay wait i can actually make money off my my name image, image likeness and mm-hmm. be able to save money mm-hmm. so that, yeah, during the summers or the fall or whatever it is, uh, when I decide to go and play, uh, you know, the futures of the challenger circuit, now I'll have some more money. I mean, it's from my perspective, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you, you know, you're just, you know, this, this hotshot who's already got, you know, like a six or seven figure, uh, sponsorship contract from you know, some big company. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see why it wouldn't help mm-hmm. uh, the college route.
0: By the way, you can bring that six- and seven-figure deal with you now to college and be like, yeah, I'm just going to keep it, but I'm going to go to college for you because— I really like Boulder. Like, it's very beautiful. 300 days of sunlight. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. And so I agree with you. I just, I don't know how it doesn't. And, and, you know, again, I've made this point repeatedly on these shows, but we right now have five years of classes in college tennis. And typically there are, you know, only four plus some stragglers. But because of the COVID year, uh, everyone extended an extra year of eligibility for the next three seasons. So we do have that extra group of players in college tennis that said even without that group i think college tennis the talent we see the depth and you know it's required from top to bottom to compete at the top of the game i think the talent level and the competition is higher than it's ever been again you you've been at power five programs now for what the past decade at least right around a decade now I, i'm curious have you seen do you think the talent continues to improve uh here in college tennis over the past decade
1: 100 uh yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with the success that players have had going to college and then going to play the professional tour, both on the men's and women's side. And then I think the younger players seeing that they're like, okay, what, look, if they can do it, then I can do it for so mm-hmm. long. You know, as college coaches, like, yeah, you know, we could go into someone's, uh, living room and talk to them and their parents would be like, look, you know, we feel like we can help you with this we can do this we can do that but if you didn't have the you know, the the evidence you didn't have the data to kind of point exactly like so and so has done it so and so has done this so and so is ranked here um it's 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 really hard to get obviously people to buy into that and i know you released a, a list what not too long ago when it came to the the american oh it was an american but it was Men who played collegiate tennis. What you, I think you said collegiate ties,
0: right? Is yeah, what said? eleven of them in the top uh, one hundred. God, yeah, we must is, know there is nothing for the record. I like more than hearing my tweets quoted to myself. I really like you. This is that was, I appreciate that. Thank you. You
1: got you got to do the research, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I got to do the research. So no, it's I mean like eleven. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but if eleven, if you know, if collegiate tennis was a uh, was a country, I mean that would yeah. be pretty pretty darn good right that's, yeah say, exceptional over, yeah over 10 percent of uh, yeah the top 100 is being represented and so yeah there's still I think there's just, there's always gonna be detractors right they're gonna say like yeah if you go to college you're giving up you're not gonna be able to make it But like the reality is there is no right or wrong way like I think mm-hmm. for some kids like if you're if you are yeah if you're you know Sep Corda, if you're Riley Opelka if you're Taylor Fritz yeah, going pro was the right way it was the right route because they had the resources obviously they had the talents mm-hmm. um you know i think i saw what tommy paul recently said that if he had it all over to do it again he probably would have gone to georgia mm-hmm. at least for a semester or four years so you know i think for the majority of kids probably going to college is the right decision and then probably for the, the small majority um you know going going the professional route directly is probably the right decision i, I know you know from my from my own personal experience i i used to travel uh, with the with the player's His name was Daniel Wynn who, who played at USC uh, won well, we one NCA
0: match I, yeah I mean Daniel the guy, Wynn the guy and I are a, familiar yeah we've met before
1: <laughs> okay yeah the guy's obviously a stud uh, like great guy you know obviously uh, very successful um, but he would you know we have this conversation all the time that you know if he didn't go to college like there's no way he would have ever been able to have the success he did I mean and you know, he got to what i think uh at one point he was a 189 i think it was his career high which for him was unbelievable i mean if you watched mm-hmm. him I mean, the guy was uh one of the most professional hardest workers out there but you know he was five nine didn't have a huge serve didn't have huge weapons but just like was really a cerebral player uh worked his butt off and like i said was very professional in, in his preparation and, you know getting into the top 100 i think or top 200 for him was was unbelievable, uh, but yeah, from his perspective, he's like, yeah, because I have this degree now, like I can go out there and play a little bit more uh, carefree, right? Meaning like I don't have to worry that if I don't win this match, how am I going to eat, you know, dinner <laughs> uh, tonight, or am I going to have enough money to pay for my hotel or this, this and that? Like he was able to uh, to do things the right way, like you know, put the right nutrition in his body obviously stay in a nicer hotel do those types of things that was going to allow him to be successful not only now but uh long term uh when he while he was playing on the tour Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i I don't know you know like being able to see i'm just going to go pro right away don't go to college and just put all your eggs in one basket I, i feel like that's just really really risky
0: yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Were you part of Team Win when he beat Mitchell Frank seven six in the third in that future? I, I don't remember when it was twenty fourteen ish, like around that range twenty fifteen. Uh, because Mitchell was his one loss at NCAA, Is That was twenty twelve. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was. So I wasn't at that term, but I do. So one of my one of the first tournaments we we traveled together was a challenger in Winnet, Illinois
0: sure Where and he I remember Som that tournament.
1: yeah he lost to somdev seven six in the third in the <laughs> finals the the crazy thing was that that tournament uh what was it i had to leave before the semis mm-hmm. because uh i had to go up to i had to drive up to actually the clay court tournament in uh, Memphis. the girls uh 18's clay court tournament so i had to leave them uh, midway through the tournament you know i'm in the hotel i'm following the, the match uh the somdev match and like, I remember the score just kept cutting out. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then, like, I wake up the next morning, and I talk to him. and I realized so they went inside, outside, inside, outside, and every time Ugh. they went inside, they couldn't, they couldn't do the live scoring. Uh, yeah, because it kept raining, but they ended up losing 7-6 in the third, Absolute epic match. I was like, I can't believe I missed this.
0: <laughs> uh, By the way, you want to hear the stretch so now I have it pulled up. Here are let's I'm doing some quick math. Seven consecutive finals Daniel win played from twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen. Beat Hyeon Chung three sets May yep. twenty thirteen. That's a hell of a victory. Then loses Dennis Novikov, three sets. Mexico 2014, that was Navikov at his peak, you know, coming off of one yep. singles UCLA, Kalamazoo champion, et cetera, et cetera. He then beats Mitchell Frank, Bjorn Fritangelo, and Marcos Giron all in three sets, all in the same summer in Darius Futures Finals. Beats now top 50 guy Ilya Ivashka in May of 2015 in a future final in Korea. Daniel went 15 and 12 in his career in finals. I actually think that's the least surprising stat I've learned today
1: and you know what i i think the least surprising thing you told me too was he beat all those guys in three sets See, yeah. like
0: if you told me he beat them like six i'd be like
1: yeah there's no way yeah uh, that's, not, that's, that's not accurate at all you know the fact that he won the match in three sets i think is like i said is very typical of him but it's also like i think a testament to him because of mm-hmm. yeah the guy was like i said he was just a warrior
0: yeah Absolute guy's a winner in the
1: court. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly winner
0: yeah, uh, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. You said it not me. Um but yeah. no, I agree with you. No pun intended. Um, all right, with all that I mean I'll do 5 more minutes on Daniel Winn if you want. Believe me, I'm in. Um <laughs> but with all that said, I do have some rapid fire questions I want to throw at you just some broader topics as we have been in the college tennis world and uh all these things before I let you go. I want to start with an interesting uh proposition proposed to me from Coach Petty over at Texas Tech. I will fully acknowledge I'm stealing this from him. In regards to the no warm-up rule, should we reinstitute warm-up before doubles? Because he made a good point just given, yeah, you're doing the team huddles and all the national anthem and everything. By the time you're done warming up, picking up all the balls, et cetera, and the start of the first ball, that's a solid 15-minute gap. There's also the fact that, you know, as an opponent, you've just never seen your other opponent play. You don't know. Do they have a kick serve? Do they have a slice serve? What do they just do in general? You have none of that knowledge beforehand. Would it be beneficial for college tennis to reinstitute the pre-doubles warm-up, but not bring back the you know the pre-singles one? I don't I don't think we need that one. I'm in favor of bringing back the pre-doubles one. What say you? I I I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe. You know, maybe it's a five minutes, like three minutes. I don't know. Yeah, know? I yeah, guess. I it, makes
0: do your Do you think the players are too cold coming in? Like I do, I just think it's a little too much.
1: I Look, I, I think it's yeah. You, you could argue absolutely. Yeah, they are too cold. Like for me, honestly, like for me, it's like like whatever it is, we just do. You know, so you're not gonna hear me <laughs> sure. complain about a lot of things. You know, it's yeah, like look, okay. like, this is it. Okay, we just do this, and it's you know, because I feel like as coaches. You know, we start complaining about things and it just kind of gives our players uh, an excuse. Yeah. But no, I I think it does make sense. Like if it's, yeah, just a quick warm up, through three minutes, you know, get the body moving again. Um, yeah, I would be in support of it.
0: I also think from a fan perspective, the first warm up <laughs> fans would not mind. It's the second warm up before singles where it's like, do we really need this too? And so I think it covers both avenues. But with that said, now we're getting creative. I think the coin toss is just a wasted opportunity for tennis fans. I think in lieu of the coin toss, what we should do at the start of every dual match is have the two head coaches play out one drop and feed hit, you know, one drop and hit point where it's just one point, winner take all, winning coach gets to decide the serving arrangements on every coach, uh, every court. Are you in favor? (laughs) Uh Sure, let's do it. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, you're allowed yeah. to say no, by the way. I won't be offended. Yeah,
1: let's do it. But let's, I'd say, like, let's let's make coaches play with like their opposite hand too. Oh,
0: so the yeah. rule that I've heard thrown around is if you're if you have an AARP card, you should let your assistant play. Like that should be allowed, and I don't I don't hate that. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I, I like the creativity associated with it. But um, sure, no, I like.
1: I, anything that like, yeah, you know, I think all, all that stuff is fun. I would be for it. Let's do all right, it.
0: lawless lineups to actually make home home field advantage a thing. Away team has to send their lineup beforehand. Home team gets to set the lineup however they want. Whew. No, big big no. <laughs> okay, that's a. I get a lot of nose on that one. Yeah, yeah that I feel like that it, might I, be a bridge too far.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of coaches who would just. Yeah, I mean they would take advantage the, of that way way
0: way too much there yeah the mind games it could be i mean the problem is you don't want to get in a situation where a blumberg's playing me every match and you're just like why am i <laughs> playing college tennis right where it's just sure, like not sure. worth it um but yeah it, that's fair um all right individuals versus team and i know this is a serious issue but Keep team in the spring, move individuals to the fall. In the ideal world, you have to play the previous spring season, and then we can play the fall individuals second week of the U.S. Open. Now, that's my dream. It's a pipe dream, and I think Eric Bouderek likes me, but not that much. Uh, but the yeah. idea of separating, you know, individuals, team, uh, fall for individual, team for spring. Thoughts?
1: I think it makes sense to you. Um, yeah. You know, we you, – you look at uh, – you know the individual portion that always that's always played after the mm-hmm. team at least from my perspective and we haven't you know sent any players here recently but just kind of following the results it always seems you know if if you're yeah if you're florida if the florida men yeah. last year and you're playing well into you know you win obviously they win the championship and the next you have to go play it's it's pretty much a letdown. so i think yeah. you know moving it to the fall gives it more uh importance you know, more mm-hmm. emphasis and yeah, in the spring, then you can just focus on just playing the team. And then once you're done with the team, you're done. So mm-hmm. I think uh, and then on top of that, too, I mean, how long was for the Florida men and like the Texas <sighs> women and Pepperdine women in Orlando last year? Like three yeah, weeks. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to say like a month. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a long time. Mm hmm no and and especially in may orlando sucks in may uh but no i I, like no i you're absolutely right and i also just i like the idea if you're going to keep individual events the regionals the fall nationals the all americans in the fall have the ncaa championships be the coup de grace have that be the title at the end of the year here's the best individual now we try to figure out the best team
1: yeah no i like i think that makes a lot of sense and hopefully that's you know, I know right now too. There's a lot of uh, players that are playing. You know, they take the fall off mm-hmm. you know, to play, go play futures and challengers, and I, that that could probably ruffle some feathers. But hopefully, that you know puts more emphasis too for for those mm-hmm. those specific players to mm-hmm. to stay and play more collegiate events in the fall, so that they can actually qualify for the uh, for the fall individual portion.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, I love that. Should an NCAA wild card be given to the champion, even if they're from not the U.S.
1: One hundred percent, yes. Nice. Um, I think it makes obviously. I understand the the merits in giving it to an American because it is mm-hmm. the U.S. Open, but sure. uh, I think it should be it should be open to whoever it is that wins the championship. They earned it, um, and they should they should hopefully have that opportunity. And right. I, I think what they should probably do too, though, is, is maybe open it open up another wild card. So one goes to whoever wins it, and then one goes to you know Top either whatever this side. Yeah, exactly. The top yeah. American or maybe the American that advanced the furthest.
0: Yeah, no, I'm completely in favor of that. Um, I, I agree. All right, last four for you. Uh, quick succession. After 15 months of Zoom, who is the one member of your team you never want to hop on a Zoom call with again?
1: <laughs> uh, oh, man. Uh, I, I think everyone would be in favor of not having to be on Zoom, period.
0: So. <laughs> just no more yeah. Zoom, period. You're just yeah, out of no Zoom. Zooms. <laughs> yeah, let's just do it. Yeah, let's do it in person. <laughs> it's a good cop out. I'll take it. Um, all right, messiest locker in the locker room. Actually, I think they're all pretty good. Yeah, they are all pretty good. Yeah, that's doing the pretty little good. things the right way. I'm starting to notice yep. the theme here. I like it. Um, what's your go-to drill in practice? It's Coach Fam Day. We're going in. We're hitting. We're playing the hits. <laughs> what are we doing?
1: It's uh, a good question. I, you know, I, I like hitting and moving. So mm. anything that's yeah I mean keeping things kind of short, not letting things get kind of get uh you know too monotonous cumbersome, so some sort of hitting and, and moving drill mm-hmm. um, like... yeah you know like again yeah, a three or four minute rotation kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. how's your game looking nowadays? All oh, looks terrible <laughs> just just atrocious. Yeah, is it the movement? Yeah. That's what I've noticed is the first yeah. To I
1: think it's the movements. I mean, I try to stay in shape, and you know, I was working on yeah. those things. But like, it's just not the same if you're not playing tennis. I mean, you <laughs> exactly. get yeah, you get yanked in and out of corners, and you yeah, know, your movement just 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 depreciates.
0: Like, oh, I, I went up for a forehand. I, you know, I wasn't good i was fine i mean if it's a binary system good bad i would be on the good side in terms of broadly tennis players but i went up to hit a forehand approach out the other day and i was like that just did not feel right <laughs> i was like sure. what am i on you know like in uh, the escalators at the airport that like move you forward slowly and it's like a moving track but it's not particularly sure. fast that's me sure, right sure. now i'm just the constant speed escalator where it's like yeah you know eight minute mile that's fine um and it doesn't exceed yeah and then that. for me
1: like i was never like a great player i mean like yeah. i i i kind of joke about this but like i took pride in being like when i would be people i took pride in them saying like yeah that's the worst player i've ever lost in my life <laughs> um, yeah but like for me it's you know like i kind of just was more of a cerebral player i would frustrate players and yeah i, I kind of prided myself on like my fitness or my movement and you know as you get older those things are the first things to go and so when you don't, when you're a player that's yeah you know, that's just an okay player and they can't move any anymore uh, you just you're just not you're not you're not very good anymore
0: no someone asked me what's my best shot still and i was like eh, maybe the backhand pass and they were like that's not a good thing for your game if that's what you're priding yourself on i was <laughs> yeah, like yeah you're having to exactly hit, <laughs> hit the backhand pass over and over and over Yeah, yeah exactly i was like i could still put that ball where i want it to go but that's it um yep. but all right with all that said last question for you uh and that's a question i'm asking all of these coaches but i am curious when fans watch the colorado women's tennis team play this year what do you want their takeaway to be
1: you know, it's not like a broken record, but I, I want them to be like, yeah, yeah. You know, the team plays hard. You know, they do things the right way. They support each other. Uh, you know, they represent. The, you know, they represent Colorado, in, uh, in a very positive fashion. You know, we're, we're we're very proud of the way they you know they compete. Yeah, and like the, I'll use the word competing again. Like they compete hard, right? Like they play mm-hmm. the right way. Uh, win or lose, yeah. You know, they they uh, yeah. They're fun to watch. Um,
0: so, yeah. No, I, I, I love it. I forgot to sequence in is the servant volley and doubles dead.
1: You know what? I, I, I don't think so. I, I mean when I play doubles, <laughs> which is not all that often anymore, I, I yeah, I will serve and double uh servant volley. Um you know, it's something we you know we'll 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 dabble in a little bit here and there in practice. Uh even with yeah, with even with our ladies. Um mm-hmm. I don't know if you can do it consistently and win, but I think you know if you, you you throw it in there every once in a while i think it, it could be a good
0: change-up yeah no i like it well with all that said again coach sincerely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today uh we will be rooting for you i mean we root for every team so you know don't don't feel too special but uh no, sure, we sure. will be rooting for you and your team to have success uh, to stay healthy of course throughout the cor- uh, course of the 2022 season and it goes without saying but anytime you'd like to come back on this show we'd be happy to have you
1: no, much appreciated, Alex. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate everything you do for for college tennis, and and uh, you know all the exposure you give give to college tennis, and keep doing the good good work, and go
0: bust. I appreciate it. Yes, take care, Coach. Be safe. Be healthy. We will chat soon.
1: Thanks, Alex. Take care.